Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to season two, episode one of the My Life in Rugby interview series. And we kickstart 2024 in a big way. But on the field and off, our opening guest is a widely adored legend who had a 2023 to remember from fatherhood to provincial and international honours. It's fair to say Jean Klein had 12 months that will live long in the memory. So without any further ado, welcome to the show, Munster cult hero, Henri Castletroy man, Jean Klein. Thanks for coming on, mate. Thanks, Kellen. Appreciate it. I'll have you know, I actually live in Anacardi. It's a very oh, fine but... Um... I think we might need to start all over again in case people <laughs> in Anacardi hear that now. <laughs> no, 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 you're grand, you're grand. We'll, we'll start with the with the major news this week, which is the, the knee injury and the eye injury. So firstly, how are they? Keeping for you. It's one of those things when the eye's getting better, which is um which is great. And um the knee, it is what it is. You know, you can only kick the can down the down the line so many times before it eventually bites you. So um yeah, just had to had to go and have it cleaned up and yeah, I'll be all set for next season. Well hopefully I'll get catch the tail end of this season still. Yeah. Um get a few games in and then yeah. Set myself up nicely to get ready for next season. Yeah, hopefully, and come back flying. Yeah. And absolutely, yeah. There's been there's been a lot of injuries in the HVC this last couple of weeks. So, any yeah, any positive a, news? <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's been a rough one. Once yeah. Um, we'll we'll start with 2023. We'll we'll work back to the start in a few minutes. But like, as calendar years go on on the field and off, as I mentioned, it it really wasn't a bad one. Yeah, no, look, um, a year full of highlights. I don't, it's a tough one because, like, you don't, I don't think you ever go into a year with expectations. You know, you sort of start the 1st of January and you go, I'm going to make the best of what comes. And, um, yeah, I just had some really good things come across my path. Obviously, I knew I was going to have a child, which was, which was great. Um, he's fantastic. He's almost a year old now. He's mm, 11 months and like, seven days or eight days or something so first birthday party is coming up on the 4th of february that was class and then um obviously the urc with munster that was a that was a great experience i you know sort of thought i was at the pinnacle of rugby um when that happened it was like you know what a trip and it's been a fantastic journey and we really i mean we were against odds um, going into it and, you know, the entire build-up to it, you know, playing, I think, seven games away from home um, in a row and winning all of them, which is unheard of, um, especially on the lead-up to winning the the final of the tournament, which was, you know, what an experience. So that was great. And then, you know, to get to get the call of Rossi then the next day, you know, it's even, even better. And for that to lead into... What was to be a you know a very successful World Cup and you know we got the gold medal in the end, which is literally the pinnacle of rugby. So yeah, I I think I went from thinking I was at the top to actually being on top, which is which is a whole different experience. Yeah, absolutely. And like that run for monsters, you said was was a rush in and of itself, and then you kind of get that phone call the day after the final, as you mentioned. Like, there's probably no. There's probably no come down at all. It's literally just in, you know, you're celebrating one minute and then you're, you know, celebrating then another minute and it's, it must be such a rush. Yeah, no, it took a, it took a long while for me to get used to the idea of it. So, um, no, it's look, it's been a, it was a very blessed 23. Uh, I can't, I can't say it enough. I mean, I was very blessed both on the field and off the field. So, no, it was brilliant for me. Yeah, that's great to hear. We'll, we might go back to 2016 just for a minute when you signed for Munster because I think it's easy to forget you're only young, you're only what, 22, 23 years of age when, when you joined yeah. Munster. 22 when I came over, so turned 23 actually on my debut game for Munster against Worcester down in Musgrave Park. Um, I remember we played against Danica. Danica oh, yeah. was in that match. She was over for Worcester, so it was... Um, 
I actually turned 23 on that day. So it was a, it was a big day for me. And oh. sure, the only person that it was my birthday was uh, Barbara Richardson. I don't know if you've heard of her. No. An absolute mad Munster fan, like <laughs> off her trolley mad, but she's brilliant. Um, we love her to bits and she's, yeah, she's one of the, one of the stalwarts of the Munster rugby fan base. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah. So came over 2016. Sort of, you know, I I said I committed. I I was gonna I was gonna move and I was gonna do it because I didn't want to come over and have the mentality of I'm only gonna do a few years here and then I'm gonna move on because you, you wouldn't like you wouldn't buy in in the right in the right way. I don't think. So I came over hoping to do a long stint. Um, I signed my second contract for Munster. I think towards the end of my second year of of my three year contract. So I mean, I was. I was signed up for six years before I'd even gotten to my third year's contract. So that was that was a big thing for me. I I think I was I was quite committed to to Mansa by that time. Um and you know it's it's a kind of place that sort of swallows you um in a good way, because like you show up and you sort of don't expect a whole lot from Limerick and you know Limerick's Limerick's a fantastic place to live. It's a crap place for a holiday, but like it's a really nice place to live. And you know, just the people of Ireland and the people of Munster um, just really draw you in. And um, yeah, look, I I think I never expected it to turn out the way it has, but I was always hopeful that good things would come from it. So, but yeah, no, look, it's it's crazy to think how far. We've come since, I mean, this is, we've come to the end. Well, we're halfway through my eighth year at Munster. So um, it's a long time. Yeah, it really is. And like when you're so young going over as well, like I suppose you'd probably have known of like Chantevilliers, played for Munster, BJ Botha, et cetera. And obviously there was a Munster contingent there. Were you in touch with any of them before you came over or, or how does that process work? No, look, I... I sort of like I trusted Russi and Jacques because I'd worked with them before. Um, so when Russi, you know, invited me to come to come play, I sort of said, "Look, it's, it's a great opportunity." And he famously told me he wouldn't bring me to a to a shit place. And I knew, you know, I knew of Munster's history, and um, I knew CJ was here at least. So I'd have I'd have at least one one guy who would speak my language who would um, help me sort of get into it. But no, I came over. In a very positive sense, I I thought it would be a good place for me to, to further my career. Um, I, I, yeah, yeah, I was good. I was going to get into Razzy anyway, so might as well do it now because he obviously brought you to Monster and he brought you to Twenty Three and Three World Cup. Like, there's so much written about Razzy Rasmus, but like as a coach and as a person, probably a man manager, what's he? What's he like? Ah, he's fantastic. He's he's the world's best. Like. You don't win two World Cups back to back away from home, and you know not not be the best. He's um, he's an incredible player manager. knows how to knows how to communicate with players in a very definite fashion. Um, yeah, he doesn't beat around the bush either. There's no wrapping things in you know cotton wool, and you know you have to be careful of this guy's feelings or that guy's feelings because, you know, it's he sees it as if you're in a meeting room, it's like you're on the pitch. Like if if you want to call someone out, you've got to call them out. So um, it's very open doors with him. He's, like I said, he's, he's exceptionally good at managing um, players and, you know, knowing when to give and when to take. And, you know, he's he places a lot of trust in his players as well. Which is reflected in the trust in him. Um, so, yeah, he's he's incredibly good at what he does. And but I mean, that being said, he has a great team behind him. Um, I mean, you can't even say behind him. Great team next to him. You know, they they work so closely together um, that yeah, you couldn't say they were standing behind him. Um, but yeah, you know, Jacques, Felix, um, Don Human, Dion, like sticks. You can. You can you can name all of them, and then Andy, the the conditioning coach. You know, we've got Renee and Andy, the 
physios. They, they're the team he's assembled is exceptional in terms of the management team. And then the team he's assembled in terms of players is also, you know, is, you struggle to find a better better collection of lads, um, not just in terms of actual talent um, and mindset, but in terms of just being good lads. And that buy-in was was evident. Like we did comprehensive coverage of the World Cup on this channel, and the one thing we always spoke about is you don't win three one-score games in a row with it by chance. It just it comes from within. It comes from the intangibles, and like that final in particular, it comes down to a last-minute mall, which I know you you were one of the ones in there trying to trying to get it down, and like it's that fight. And I suppose there's probably great buy-in, not just behind Razzy, but as you said, as a collective, the squad, the the playing staff, and I know you hit your family over, which probably, which probably helps as well for that kind of the culture at a World Cup. Yeah, absolutely. I think having a families over was a was an absolute winner for us because you can only spend so much time away from your family before you start missing them, and before you start missing normality, and you know it 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 does affect you um, mentally. So having them with us. Even just to be with us, not not necessarily perform any necessary action, but um, just their presence was was a massive um, buffer for us. It's a it's a way of getting away from we're at a World Cup. It's a way of getting away from we're under a lot of pressure. You know, you, it's it's more this is just normal life. I'm I'm with my family, um, so that's fantastic. And then the way the families mingle as well, it's it's incredible. Like. Credit to all the wives how they um you know how they drew my wife in being the only Irish woman um really the only foreigner um out of the group um so yeah no look there's there's massive buy-in from all the players um and all the families so it everything helps it all works together to create this environment absolutely and. Uh... Culture is a big thing. I spoke about this with your former teammate, Alex McHenry. That podcast comes out next week. But like Johan, he's said at Munster and he says it at Bath about, you know, the culture of the club. Wig is absolutely huge in it in every interview. I, I just want to touch on them as well, because obviously under Johan, you kind of kicked on and obviously won your Ireland caps and under Graham, obviously you won a URC. But again, further form followed and further progress. What kind of impact have they had in your career, but also what were they like to work under? Um, I mean, they were both fantastic to work under. Worked under um, worked under Johan for I think two and a half, three years, might have been more. I actually can't even recall. There was so many changes of coaches and stuff at the start. I sort of struggled to remember when he started and you know when Rassi and Jacques left, but. Um, no, Johan's a fantastic guy. He's a great coach. Um, yeah, I can't praise him more. I, I think you can see it in the results he's getting at Bath as well from a team that was bottom of the log when he arrived there um, to now you know, winning winning big matches um, by big margins as well. So, no, look, all credit to him. Um, and, you know, then you've got Graham as well, completely different character. Um, I think Johan's quite reserved. Whereas Graham is, you know, he's your classic rapper player. He's boisterous. He's out there. Um, he's really good. He's a really good personality for rugby, um, if I could put it that way. So, no, I, I, I think it's it's very much the faith they had in me um, and the belief they had in my abilities, which is a, a strange thing because as a player, sometimes you don't have the the belief in your own abilities where yeah. people have that belief in you. Um, and, you know, it's 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 the small things. Like, I, I remember years ago, man, this was, would have been my second, my first or my second year, Jerry, Jerry Flannery was still the forwards coach. And he just said to me, man, you have to know, like, how much it, you know, sort of motivates the lads to know that you're on the pitch with them because they know, like, there's a real physical force there and you're going to, you know, make a big difference in the scrum and you're going to make a big difference in the mall. And, you know, it's all those kinds of things that, the, the you know, the quiet words and the, you know, the handshakes and stuff. I think they make quite a big difference. And I think as a, as a coach, it's very, 
it's a very fine line to tread between um, friendship and being a coach because at the end of the day, you know, your coach is your boss. So they have to be able to have a, have a stern word with you. But they also, because of the way rugby is, it's, it's a very family orientated friend environment. Um, so I, th- I think both of those lads are incredible at, at treading that line, both in their own very unique ways. Yeah. And you, you mentioned there just kind of these lads having belief in you. And obviously that's very important. And I suppose like I touched on leadership before in other podcasts with, with other players. And does that belief help the leadership, you know, and bringing that out to yourself, for instance, because obviously as an experienced player, it's sometimes expected, but like if you, how do I phrase it? I suppose if the coaches don't back you to be kind of a main voice in the pitch, it's hard to do it, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. But I I think it's more like it's a it's a fairly natural thing. Like it either happens or it doesn't happen. I mean, there's certain guys that don't take the lead and aren't as vocal. Um, they lead by actions. And then there's other guys who are very vocal and not saying, saying that they don't lead by actions. But, you know, there's there's different forms of leadership on the pitch. And I think with rugby, it's there's so many strong personalities that – it takes a while for you, especially as a young player, to sort of define your own role in that in that fold. And I think as as time develops, it changes. Um, I never saw myself as a very vocal, you know, on pitch personality in in that in, in that sense. But you know, in the last couple of years, it's sort of gotten a little bit more um, of a responsibility for myself because I am ticking on and I'm getting a little bit older and a little bit more experienced if you could um say it that way. But yeah, I I think that's sort of a natural development. Um you'll find there'd be players with two hundred caps that um that don't don't say much and then you'll find there's guys who have ten caps that, you know, have a really active um, active role to play. Absolutely. And I suppose anyone who has subscribed to Access Monster last year would see the kind of balance, as you said, like there is younger players who are so vocal. There's older players who kind of, you know, they might say two words and, and two words enough then as well. And it's probably, it's probably all about balance, I suppose, is, is kind of your, where you're getting at. We have to discuss 2023 because it's kind of the main point to this. It's a, it's a positive podcast for, for this one anyway. But, Absolutely. Munster did get off to a rocky start last year. It, like it wasn't wasn't great. Um, but like the early stages of the last season with a new coach and staff trying to bed in new ideas, what was it like? Like Graham always says there was always full belief. That must have been so crucial when results weren't going your way. Yeah, well that's that's exactly what it was. It was I, we all they laid out a plan for us at the start of the season and they said this is the plan and this is the way we're gonna play and this is what we're gonna do and like we're all professional players, we all knew it was going to take a time to take a while for everything to take shape. Like you don't change an entire playing style within a team and expect it to be, you know, just a magic wave the wand and then next week we're all of a sudden this brilliant team. Um, you know, not that we weren't a good team to start with, but that transition, you know. You're going from one defensive system to another defensive system. You're going from one attack system to another attack system. Um, and, you know, in that sense, it um, does get quite difficult to make that transition quick um, because there's a serious learning curve to that. And, I mean, you have coaches that have never worked with players, players that have never worked with certain coaches. And the relationship building there as well is crucial. Um, because as with anything, the better your your understanding is of the players you're working with or of the coaches you're working with, the more you're able to perform and deliver what they want and what they expect. Um, and I think that's all it was for us. Like they laid out the plan and we just said, look, we're going to keep keep knocking at the door, knocking at the door, knocking at the door, and eventually it will break down. So we hit a point sort of midway through the season where I think, we really started kicking on and we started to gain a little bit of momentum. 
Um, unfortunately, by that time, we'd already done ourselves enough disfavours to end up playing our last seven games away from home. But, I mean, regardless of that, we still had the belief and we still had the um, had our adapted playing style that we now were using. And I think we, we use it to really good effect. Yeah. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, like obviously the November internationals, the way, the way it happens, like you, the coaches get a full month with players or three weeks with players there. And obviously you had the South Africa game. And I know you didn't feature in that one, but the build up to that, could you feel that was when progress started happening when you had that block to kind of just iron a lot of things out? Because it did feel like that performance, as well as being a great performance, it was a sign of, okay, now they've just ironed out the creases in the in the makeup of the side. Yeah, I think very much so. I mean, obviously, it, it helped the fact that the lads had to travel halfway across the world three days before the match. Um, so that obviously helped a little bit. But I mean, it was, it was what an event as well. I think it was just the occasion um, accompanied with, I think, the weather. It suited us down to the ground. It was one of those down and dirty, wet. It was just, The weather was terrible. I don't know if you were at the match, but it was absolutely oh. torrential. But... Um, Long story short, I I just think it was the perfect storm for us in that sense, that it was the culmination of everything we'd worked towards over the last, say, three, four months um, and a great time to put it on display. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did. Um, and I mean, all credit to the lads. I obviously didn't play that match, but all credit to the lads that put on some performance. Great game to watch. And I think we were all... We're all absolutely enthralled sitting on the sidelines and we're all ecstatic with the result. So I think that really kicked us on. I think you're right. That's, and that's great to hear. Now, there, I could go game by game through the season, but we will be here. We will be here all day. And this, <laughs> there was a lot of games. Yeah, that's the thing. There was a lot of games last year. But like you did have great form and you, you subsequently won player of the year. And I have a question from Munster Frank Garrod um, on the topic of, you know, your form and everything like he just wants to know what do you kind of learn in the period of not just like 2019 to 2023, but across the year that kind of helps you improve. Is there kind of an element of new coaching ideas or new experiences or just age or, or how does that, because obviously last year was a phenomenal year on a personal level for for you and your, your form. Um, do you know what? I think it's a, it's a combination of factors. Obviously the new playing style suited me, I think. The coaching staff looked after me really well in terms of training load and stuff, considering I was playing every match. You know, there was it was a really fine balance struck. You know, a fella like um Jed McNamara doesn't probably get enough um get enough credit for that. You know, he kept me working for the entire the entire season, him and obviously the entire medical staff. So that's you know that's a big that's a big thing is just being available to play and being physically able to play week in week out um i think a run of a run of games always increases your form and i had a fairly long run of games so the more in in my mind the more rugby to play the more rugby you play um the better you play just from a sense that it's always at the start of the season. You have to consciously make decisions on the field. It's like, a, you know, the ball goes there. What do I do? Kind of, you have to make the decision. Whereas by game four, five, six, you're not making the decision anymore. It's just happening. And, you know, the more games you play, the faster that subconscious decision happens. So I think it, it all it all adds. And I, I think it just makes you... It makes you a better rugby player. Um, you know, the more you play, it's it's always difficult for guys in in the reverse that haven't played a lot of rugby to come in and put a really good performance in um, because of the fact that you haven't played a lot of rugby. So it's it's a difficult one um, in that regard for coaches. But no, I like I said, I had an incredible run and. In terms of learnings from 2019 to 2023, was my main learning was just just stick to the inside noise. Like, doesn't matter what people on the outside say. It doesn't matter what the media writes about you. 
um, because the media will write anything to sell a to sell a paper or get a click. It's literally, I mean, it happens all the time. You have guys, ex rugby players, saying all kinds of stuff just to stay relevant. Um, and you know that unfortunately that's the reality of of media. And you know you have journalists publishing all kinds of crap just to get a click and I mean they don't care about how that affects you mentally or you know what happens to you or your family um in regards to that from a mental aspect. Um so the best thing is to just ignore it and not not read it at all, which is what I did. I think I spent too much time reading what other people thought about me um leading up to the twenty nineteen World Cup because it was all positive and then at some point it just wasn't anymore and then you know, you believe the positive stuff, so you inevitably believe the negative stuff as well. Um, and I think when I just stopped caring about what other people thought and just said, look, I'm playing rugby for myself and for my family and for my club and for my friends, and I enjoy doing it, so that I'm going to keep doing it, and no matter what the outside world says. So that was the biggest, the biggest turning point for me in terms of my actual mental attitude towards rugby. I'll probably drop in there. You did an interview with Jeff Neville of the Loosehead podcast two or three years ago. Brilliant about 2019. And I do recommend anyone. Jeff has been on this podcast as well. Anyone who hasn't listened to it to do because it's it's brilliant from yourself. But Jeff definitely got a lot out of out of it as well in 2019, the World Cup. And obviously 2023 went a bit better. But you did mention there, to, to get back on topic, Um, you mentioned a run of games. I think you said and getting all that. Like when you got your three knockout away wins, unbeaten in your trip to South Africa, it's it's easy to say, oh, the running games are important, but there was so many chopping and changing with injuries as well. Like how much of that comes down to a bit of confidence as well and belief in the next man? Because like you went into the Leinster semi-final with five starters out from what the Glasgow game was. Like running yeah. games is is great, but that's <laughs> lucky by this year's standards I think we could say but um, a yeah, bit unlucky absolutely. as well <laughs> no um, I, I think as you said it's next man up and that's 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 been the mentality of Munster for years Um, and although it's been the mentality I think last year was sort of the point where we reached where the next man up was good enough to be the next man up if that makes any sense not disparaging any of the previous players or you know any of any of the previous squads but I think just the point of experience and talent we hit last year was the point where we could go, okay, well, next man up is actually next man up. You know, it's not, oh shit, we have to put the next fella in. It's great. Next fella gets a shot. Um, and I think that was, that was the big thing is we had, we had belief in the system and we had faith in the entire squad. There was never a guy, um, brought into the lineup that was like, you know what, I, I don't know if he's going to be able to do the job. You know, it's always been grand. This fella gets a shot now. Hopefully he takes it kind of thing. That's, as you said, like if you believe in the next man, that's obviously so important. Like in that Leinster game is probably the the one that I always looked at just in terms of analyzing Munster because obviously, you know, Orcus Neyman, um, Peter Mann, he was playing on one arm. Tyke Byrne was only just back. No Fekitoa, no Calvin Nash, no Conor Murray. And yet, the lads who replaced them, you know, the likes of Craig Casey, I know Finian Richley came off the bench and played really well. Peter was replaced by Alex Kendallon, who was brilliant off the bench. And like, that's that's how you win things, I suppose, ultimately. Not just beating Leinster, which I know you mentioned in one of the pre-Stormers press conferences, but if you're going to go on and win, it's so important that those lads, when someone like Peter Manny comes off, that someone is just going to come on and quite literally in Alex Kendallon's case, bump the next lad aside in a very important moment. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, like I said, I mean, I think we have the, we have the squad and we have the depth. Unfortunately, our depth is probably being plumbed at the moment. So, um, look, we have a good few lads coming back now over the next couple of weeks. So hopefully we'll start seeing some results. Happy with Um It's, I'm, I'm, there is a certain someone who's counting this on Twitter, but it is over 200 days since since the win in Cape Town um, to win the final. It is myself that's counting in case anyone didn't know. But my abiding memory of yourself is that pre-game press conference, which which I mentioned, which was really 
I think that's when the belief kicked into the likes of myself as well, because you're hearing that and it's very confident, but also like the yeah. access monster clips from the sideline and, you know, the clear leadership and all that. But can you just talk us through for people who may not remember it as well, the week, the game, like, because it's going out to South Africa for a final is not something you'd be too used to either. We were almost lucky in the regard that it was our third trip down to South Africa um, of the season, you know, because we had the, um, we had the European Cup round of 16 against the Sharks that went obviously very poorly. Um, and then we had our regular season tour down to South Africa, which was Stormers in Cape Town, which we beat them. And then the Sharks over in um, Durban, which we tied. And I think in that regard, we took a lot of faith out of it. We also, I mean, we have a, I think we have now have a five, five and zero record against the Stormers or four, four and zero, five and zero. And, yes, you know, going into the game, we knew they had to overcome beating us. Like it's not, we're coming here against all odds, you know, one man on his own kind of thing. It was a, it was a look, they, they still have to, get over the mental block of actually beating us because they never have. That was a big thing um, for myself personally. And I think for a lot of the lads in the team, like we knew that we'd trumped them a few times and they'd never gotten the best of us. So going into that week, we were confident. We were like, this is how we have to do it. We can do this. We have full belief. We have full faith. We've got the team. All we need to do is execute the plan. And in fairness, we, we did. We went down and we executed the plan. So um, just from that from that regard, I think it was, a, it was a big week, but it was just another week for us by that stage because, I mean, it was the seventh of, of our consecutive games um, away from home. So, yeah, it was just another week. You draw much belief then from the fact that like obviously you've beaten the Stormers away from home, you've beaten them um every every matchup that you've led the Stormers so far, you you've beaten them, I think it's the best way, but you came back from behind against the Sharks, you beat Glasgow, ended their unbeaten run as well as the Stormers and Leinster. Like, is that something that there's belief there, but do you have to speak about it or is it just kind of like you know what you've done and you can kind of just it goes without saying in some ways? No, I said it was mentioned. Um it wasn't something we hopped on about, it wasn't uh wasn't an active topic of conversation, but was definitely mentioned. Just a sort of realize what you've done, kind of thing, um, and draw belief from it. And then that was the end of it. You know, there was no droning into us every day that yeah, no, you've done this, you've done that, you've done that. It was just it was mentioned, and then we all knew. The the game itself, then, like obviously hugely physical, hugely nip and tuck game. You were behind from. There's something like 25 minutes of the last half hour before John Hotness try. Um, being on the field, could you sense the momentum kind of coming back into your favor in the last kind of half an hour? As you kind of, because I know there was a few defensive stops. Obviously, two two disallowed tries in the first half, I believe. Like, could you feel right. that you had all the momentum and as when you needed it most? I suppose. Um. Yeah. I. I don't really think it was that. It was just we knew we knew we were going to win. It's just a confidence thing, a, a belief. Um, I, I mean, I've, I don't know how many times I've said belief in this interview and how many times Wig has said belief and how many times, you know, belief has been mentioned. But I think we just had a honest belief that we would win. Um, and that's what pulled us through. I think it was just we knew if we just kept executing the plan, we'd, we'd come out on top. We did, ultimately. And it was... Incredible. <laughs> I think it goes without saying, of course. Like, to do it as well, because I, I think it's important to mention, to do it for the likes of Keith Earls, that was his last game in red. And, you know, Ben Healy, Malachi Fekitoa departed. Um, Peter Mahoney, Conor Murray, Stephen Archer at the end of their careers. I know Pete spoke very well after the game about it. That must be... Like, how how does that come across in camp? Do you talk about that as well after the fact that, like... You've done something special for, in the case of, of Keith Earls, who was last Monster game, someone who was Mr. Monster. No, because we were all on the piss. 
That's fair. Like, there's no, there's no time to mention what you've done. Like it's just uh, everyone celebrating. It was just, you know, it's sort of. I think the anticipation of it is much, much worse than the actual event of it. Yeah. Um, so once we'd won, it was just everyone was just happy, um, having a good time, having a few beers it was good. I mean, no better way to, to celebrate, of course, as well. And like, we get on South Africa now because obviously winning the URC is great. Winning the World Cup is, I'm not going to say it's better from a person's point of view, but like, it's it's right up there as well. Um, no, it's better. <laughs> I wouldn't have much experience in the matter, as, as you might know. But like, um, I might just get back to kind of the call up. And obviously, Razzie gave you the call the day after as if you didn't have enough things on, on your mind. And, it's straight into camp. You won your first cap in, in July against Australia. Did it take long to kind of get to grips with the South African style or, or systems? Because obviously this is a, a team who who won the previous World Cup. They've been uber consistent. They won a Lions series. It's not like it's not like the Barbarians where everyone's coming in the same footing. Like. You know what? It actually wasn't um, because a lot of the systems that they implement are systems that Munster still use from Rusty and Jacques' days when they instilled it here, you know. So the transition was actually fairly easy um, in terms of just general play. Um, obviously, it took me a while to get to, to get terms with all the line-out calls and, you know, all the different calls they had. But in terms of systems, I I found that quite easy, really. Um, and then in terms of, you know, slotting into the team, and obviously being South African, Came fairly easy to me to play in the South African team, you know. So that it was it was the easiest transition I've had from one team into another. Obviously, it showed like your your form continued. Um, as we know, and you, you got into the the World Cup squad, but that between that first cap making the World Cup squad, they're obviously huge memories as, as a South African. Yeah. Like, I'm not obviously going to ask you to compare it to. To the Ireland situation, but like from a being down in South Africa, playing, making your test debut in South Africa, the the World Cup squad is announced. You know, on TV, it's a huge, it's a huge event. It's really cool the way they did it. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, like well, yeah, and for your family, then like to be down there and and watching that, it, it's it probably ties into that again. The fact that they're so close by when when these things happen as well. Yeah, no, it it means a lot. It, it means a lot to have them with you when when these things happen. So, no, look, it was a, yeah, it was an unexpected journey, um, but it was brilliant from start to finish. I have no regrets. Um, if you asked me tomorrow, would I do it again? I'd say yes in a heartbeat. So, no, I I enjoyed every minute. Well, not every minute. There was obviously some tough stuff, um, some difficult decisions to be made and stuff, but. Overarchingly, what an incredible experience! As as you can imagine, and like you, you played two of the pool games: the Ireland one, which obviously for Ireland fans that was as, as good as it got, unfortunately, and and the Romania game as well. Um, that Ireland game at the pool, coming into it, was kind of billed as the two best teams in the tournament potentially. Obviously, yeah. obviously you can't be listening to that; otherwise, you'd never win it. You'd never go that far. But like. How, what what was it like in South Africa? Because obviously you lost a big game, but like it happened in 2019 as well. Was that touched upon the fact that like, yeah, we lost a pool game. Who cares? We actually planned for it. Really? Yeah, we were like, we we don't really... The result of the Island game had no bearing on our campaign. In terms of we knew if we beat Scotland, hmm. um, then all we'd have to do is get the points against Romania, get the points against Tonga and we'd be in a quarterfinal. So after that first game, after we beat Scotland, we sort of said, the Ireland game doesn't doesn't matter. It was obviously, we, we would have liked to win it. It would have been great for us to win it. But in terms of our campaign, we didn't put it down as one of the markers in order to win the tournament. We weren't like, we have to beat Ireland if we want to win this World Cup. It was more of a, oh yeah, it'd be nice to have, but we don't really. We didn't mind if we finished first or second in the pool, um, because we knew the route forward. Then we knew we could we could beat every team if it came to playoff rugby. 
So in the great scheme of things, the Ireland match was more of a it was more of a point of pride. We we would have we would have liked to win it. Um but I mean sure we have the rematch now coming in, in July, so yeah. we'll see who comes out who comes <laughs> out not there. Um but yeah. So as I've been reminded by many Irish folk, um picture winning the World Cup, but um you lost Ireland. Do you know what I mean? I mean, even I would look at it the other way around. Like, I'd, I'd, I'd lose two pool games and get out of the pool and win the World Cup if, if needs be. Like, even if it means lose to Scotland, feck it. Like, it's, you know, but. So that was, uh, that was, that was our mentality was we just said we needed to win the games we needed to win, which was Scotland, the quarter final, the semi final, and the final. That was the big. Yeah. The big and that quarter final against France, semi final against. England and finally against New Zealand. We mentioned it earlier, like one point victories. That French game, I know you didn't feature, but like that was, in my opinion, probably the game of the tournament. Um, I do you know what I'd I'd say? The Irish match versus New Zealand was also up there. That was to me also one of the best matches of the tournament. Just absolutely brilliant. But yeah, I'd say those two those two matches, and then obviously the final. I'd say they'd be. Top three, and like that, obviously, it doesn't really matter how good a game is if, if as long as you win that French game, they probably kind of. It was a different game to what everyone was expecting. There was a lot of talk of like, oh, the kicking game is going to be so important, and it was, but like it was so open, so fast. Again, is that one of the things he planned for when you're taking on France? He's just thinking we'll beat them whatever way comes up because, yeah. right, they're they're an unbelievable side. Like, yeah, we were. To be honest, we were more focused on like overcoming obstacles like the crowd because the French crowd was immensely behind France, obviously, as you would be, but very vocal, very loud, um, you know, very easy to boo a bad decision. And I mean, when there's 80,000 people booing you, I don't care what your name is and who the ref is, you know, it, it does affect you. So those were the kinds of things that we, that we sort of, mentally prepared for um from the rugby side it was just getting ready for another game against france does the does the marseille game a year previous or, or two years previous i don't know which does that kind of come into the thoughts then because obviously marseille is an unbelievable venue as well incredibly hostile Very but nice. like again really nip and tuck game against france are you kind of drawn on that and kind of just saying well it is essentially kick for ball we know we can't beat them essentially what we said yeah. we knew we could beat them so all we needed to do was go out and do it so it's, it's that's yeah. that's what it all boiled, boiled down to in the world cup is we knew we had the ability we knew we had the players um and we knew we had the more mental fortitude all we needed to do was get out in there and do it and at the end of the day that was the that was the difference we just i mean at, at half time against england it was just a case of like just lift your heads and play rugby because we know what we need to do to win this. It strikes me as being an incredibly mentally strong place to be. Like, uh, obviously, you spent, what, two, three months together. And obviously, you know, it's a World Cup semi-final. You're going to be excited. But it's such a strong headspace to be in, I'd say. And even, like, by the time the final comes around, the fact that you can say, well, we beat the French in France. We beat England from a deficit. Like, what's next? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I mean, obviously, the fact that we'd had a really good victory against New Zealand, a, a record-breaking victory against New Zealand in, in Twickenham, just leading up to the World Cup, was obviously a massive thing for us as well um, as a as just a sort of mental like note, like just was just pinned, you know, just we had beat them very recently, so we could do it again. We we had faith in the fact that we could do it again, and that final like it's it was incredibly physical it was an incredible game as as you mentioned yourself it was absolutely unbelievable when you're sitting on the bench waiting to come on you come on the last you know 10 15 20 minutes are you kind of i just want to tap into your mindset here are you kind of thinking of well i can see new zealand doing this or that and just kind of analyzing the game and seeing what you can do when you come on because obviously yeah, yeah. second row it's not it's not the same as 10 you're not asked to marshal the troops but it is still you have a job to do. Are you kind of watching how the game is unfolding the whole time? All the time. 
I, th- I think there was a big onus placed on players as well to to look for, you know, strategies or defensive weaknesses and stuff, um, which I think, in fairness, everyone did. And um, yeah, I, it was something you do constantly. You just do it naturally. Like you sit there and you're watching the game and you're just seeing, you know, they're going up at this place in the line out. Generally, they're trying to mold around the front or around the back or, you know, you, you pick up on cues and then, you just know, I mean, I was sitting next to Argy for the entire thing, so we were sort of plotting between the two of us as well in terms of what we could do to get that margin, that 1%. Um, and yeah, the scrum ended up being where the, where the game was won, which was, I mean, the case a couple of times in the last few years for South Africa. You must be incredibly set-piece folks. I know a lot is said about the scrum, obviously. The scrum is a magnificent art form and anyone who says otherwise is wrong, but like, the mall, even your mall defense was was fantastic and was crucial in that game. Is there like there's kind of a trope that like South African forwards and set piece they're they're good at it, but like the coaching that you have on your set piece and under Shaq and Razi's stewardship must be top notch as well. Like, yeah, no, we we put a lot of time into our set piece. You know, we've got Fionn Davids as our line on coach, and we've got um, Don Human as our scrum coach, and they both put a lot of time into analysis of opposition and both into execution, you know, on the pitch and um, on the training field. It, it paid off, World Cup champion. Um, I, I don't think there's enough adjectives to probably describe what it feels like when, when the final whistle goes and it's it's adulation and, and it's an incredible moment. And I think, you know, I, I spoke about this with Munster fans before, but I think a lot of us were as nervous as if Ireland were in the final because there was two of our own lads out there and it's you know there is that connection and it's it's incredible yeah after Ireland fell out that we were now we were now the official team of Munster I was gonna Um, say because I was I was one of them (laughs) yeah like I was I was one of the messages I was going to touch on that because like it did feel like that official team almost our own official team and it was great to get it done and just before we move off it, like you're, you know, late 20s now to get that World Cup winner's medal and everything that comes with it. But after the last few years that you've had, you know, with, with Munster and there was defeated finals, lost a penalty shootout to Toulouse, there was the World Cup with Ireland. Does, is there an extra bit of sweetness, the fact that it wasn't, it wasn't plain sailing? Like, no disrespect to the likes of Kane and Moody or someone like that, but he's 20. He hasn't gone through as much heartbreak as he have. He's probably going to be the best rugby player we've seen in two decades. He's he's class. But um, regardless of that, um, yeah, I think so. Probably, I I wouldn't be able to tell you because I've I haven't experienced it from the other side. Do you know what I mean? Okay, I haven't. Yeah. Uh, I never won something easily. Uh, it's always been the difficult road. Um, except I suppose we won the Curry Cup in 2014 with the Stormers or with Western Province. And you know we went, I think we went unbeaten on our run to winning the winning the winning the trophy. But that was that was probably the only other real experience I had. Um, but no, I I think yeah, I, probably I, I I couldn't be I yeah. couldn't tell you. Like I said, I, I I that's my frame of reference, you know. Yeah, that's that's fair enough as well. Um, before we wrap up, I should ask about your future because okay you can't predict the future we have signed a two-year extension at Munster and I think that went down pretty well I think it's fair to say um do you see yourself staying in Limerick longer like is it just is it Munster is it Limerick like what is it that just has you kind of wanting to stay so badly well my wife's Irish um (laughs) so (laughs) that's a fairly big um big point but um no, look, I I love Munster and I love the club and I love the people. Um, I love, you know, what it represents and the passion that people have for it. I think it's a great, great club to play for, you know, and having the chance to play for them and not just play for them for a short while. But, I mean, by the end of it, it'll, it'll be a decade. I've played a decade worth of Munster rugby. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's unreal. Um, and I don't know, I'll... I'll Probably stay as long as they'd have me, to be honest with you. But uh, I'd say in, in a couple of years' time, it'll probably be 
out of the old men with the new kind of kind of mentality. I'll be thirty two at the end of my next contract, so they'll probably be looking to put the younger fellas who've worked their way up and worked their way through into into that top spot. And you know, fair play to them. I think I've I've been there long enough now. Um, yeah. Well, not now, but <laughs> by then, yeah. ten years, ten years in the number four jersey is a long time. So, um, hopefully, I'd have left it in a good place. And even if it's it definitely be left in a good place, where you look at the talent coming through, obviously. Edwin Thomas, um, Evan O'Connell, Ireland with a twenty captain, soon to be announced. Hopefully, like it's, it's incredible. And I might, I might just finish on that because so much is said about Munster winning and the rebuild. But like, as a senior player, to see this talent coming through, it must be there. It must be something that's that stands out to you as well because they're they're well lauded by everything I hear. Yeah, no, look, massive, massive credit to uh, you know all the development, all the development staff for identifying these lads and bringing them up and bringing them through. I mean, like an Edwin comes from Cove, like he played for the Cove Pirates. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not It's not like he was playing for Shannon or Corcon or you know, one of the big, bigger clubs. Um, so he was found and he was brought through. And I mean, Jesus, he's a force, like he's a force, big, big boy. And he's got, he's got the right mindset um, to play tight head lock. I, and that's something you don't find as often as you find someone with a physique to play it. Um, yeah. I think tighted lock is it's more of a mentality than a physique, and he has both. So I think we're going to see big things from him in future. Um, the other lads, uh, Evan and Tom, obviously both a little bit more rangy, a little bit quicker around the park. So I picture both of them playing five. Well, Tom at the moment, he's doing a fair job at six. So yes. he might um might just secure himself a place there. But who knows? Yeah. Look, there's 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 a lot left for them in rugby and it's a long time left for them still. So I think they'll they'll all do well. And I think yeah, as I said, all credit to the development team for identifying these players. And it's not just I mean it's not just Edwin and Evan and Tom. You know, there's there's loads of other lads, academy players at the moment who are just phenomenal. Um and it's good to see really good development. Yeah. Absolutely. It's exciting. As much as winning silverware and all that is exciting as well. It's always exciting to see young players coming through and with the stewardship of the of the senior players as well. Because that's you know, we all anyone listens to this knows their rugby and knows how important that is as well. But Sean, that is all we've time for. Thank you very, very much for coming on and, and for taking the time. It's a brilliant opportunity and I, I hope you enjoyed reminiscing about the World Cup and the URC in particular. As always. Thanks, Caleb. Appreciate it, man. Have a no good bother. day. No bother. And I will talk to everyone again next week. Of course, our Six Nations covered kicking off very soon, but we have a range of interviews from some past and present teammates of John coming up, including Alex McHenry and Alex Nankivell in the coming weeks. We've got wall-to-wall Six Nations coverage, everything in between. Thanks again to John for coming on and to everyone for listening. And if you like what you see or hear, please do subscribe. So until next time, take it easy. Sports Social Podcast Network.